Tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did it all start? Do you remember? Oh, I know what happened. How did it stop? You're now tuned into the Small Business Origins Podcast. I love an origin story. Each week, we dive into the real stories of entrepreneurs and businesses from across the nation. Who is he and what's his origin story? Who started with just an idea and are now making waves. I told you this was a good idea. This is Small Business Origins. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Small Business Origins. You're tuned in to our nationwide search. We're looking for entrepreneurs that have a story to tell. And as always, I'm your host, John Kelly, a.k.a. John the Marketer on Instagram and TikTok. And let me tell you, if you're not following me on TikTok, you're making a mistake because we've been working on getting these TikTok lives together so that we can go live and share these stories and give you a sneak peek into what's going on behind the scenes here in the studio. So make sure you head over there, John the Marketer official on TikTok and follow that account so that you can catch up with all the stuff we have going on over here because it's interesting to see us. But most importantly, let's get to it again. This is our nationwide search and I've got an entrepreneur that wants to tell his story. Jonathan Price with Down for Sound. Jonathan, welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on here. Heck yeah, man. It's always interesting. And we've not had somebody from Las Vegas, Nevada yet. So I am excited to get you in. I know you're not from there, but that's where you're at right now. So I'm sure Las Vegas is going to come up and maybe you can share with us as much as you can about the place, even though I know the old saying of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So, <laughs> you know, I'm sure it's more than just a stereotypical thing that everybody says. Definitely. But before we hop into all of that stuff, your origin story, everything else, we have to start out with our icebreaker question. We do every single episode. And today's question is, what is your go-to TV show to watch at night? Go-to TV show. Man, to be honest, I don't watch a lot of TV. Like, I mean, I think that's that's probably a, a, a typical response from entrepreneurs because we're so focused on our business and stuff. Um but I do every now and then get into a Netflix series and I liked yep. Ozark. Um, I liked uh, Yellowstone. Those couple, like me and my fiance, we we divulged in those and liked them a lot. So that if I had to pick some type of TV show, that would be the two that pop up in my head first. Yeah, I was a big Ozark fan, man. I honestly... Uh, I work for the the fire department full time. A lot of my listeners know that. And me and my driver, we were both huge fans of it. So every episode that we could, you know, watch, we'd watch it at the station. And uh, that is definitely a conversation we had was, bro, we should put a podcast on and just talk about like all these conspiracy theories about Ozark <laughs> yeah. and then like ways that we think the story could have gone or, you know, like what if there was an alternate ending and that kind of thing. Right. Huge fan of that show. Um, we kind of do the same thing. I don't watch like TV, TV, if that makes sense to you. You know, I don't have like, you know, the normal little channels, local TV type stuff, but we do stream Netflix, Disney plus Hulu. Like I've got an account for all that stuff. So I'm paying more than I ever was for cable really. Um, but it makes my kids happy. And at night, my wife and I just kind of have our routine of either playing super smash on the Nintendo. I've talked about that before on the show. Um, or like right now we're really into kaleidoscope, which is a Netflix series. We just started um, me and my fiance. Just, we've watched like two, uh, episodes of that. So we just got into that one. That's our, uh, but for some reason it didn't pop up into my head, but yeah, so it's cool so far. Yeah. I mean the, and I know you can watch the episodes in any format or any way that you want to, you know, you can watch whatever episode you want. You don't have to watch it chronologically. We started from the beginning. And at first it was kind of annoying just because it was so slow. Right. But after the buildup, 
I'm really liking the way that the story's going. And for our listeners, if you have not watched that show yet, um, I would recommend it. It's slow, so it's going to take some time. If you're one that wants something action-packed, I would say it's probably not for you. There's some action moments, but um, I love the premise behind it of just coming up with like that ultimate bank heist type thing where they're just working on, you know, busting into the safe and then just kind of all of the the way the storyline ties into it. And it's like there's a backstory for every character. Every character is connected. And then how are they going to pull off this one big job? So right, right. Definitely interested in seeing the way it ends. You're right, though. As an entrepreneur, man, um, an entrepreneur with basically two full time jobs over here. And it takes up a lot of my time. So at night, I, I usually wind up working um, before and after dinner. And then I try to spend some time with my kids and my wife after dinner. And then usually we'll watch an episode or two, 30 minutes to hour, hour and a half. And then after that, she goes to bed and I'm back on the MacBook and I'm sitting there working from bed, you know, trying to figure out how to get everything squared away. So I'm definitely with you, but I think it's important to take those times to wind down and spend time with family. Oh, a thousand percent, man. Speaking the truth there. Yes, sir. All right. Well, we're here to talk about you and where you came from and kind of how you got into what you're doing. So let's just start with that origin story, man. Where'd you come from? <laughs> so I come from a, a small town in uh, Mississippi called Greenville. It's in the Miss area. So there's a place where Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi touch. It's called the Mississippi Delta as well. Uh, but small town, 20,000 people, um, primarily farming. There's fields everywhere with different crops and stuff. And that's where I grew up at. And um uh, I love going back there. I go back and visit my parents all the time now that I'm able to. And uh, start my childhood was, I would say, a pretty typical one. Uh, my dad was the sole provider of our family's home. And my mom worked here and there, but she was always in and out of having issues. So he, she was more of a stay-at-home mom, which we know that that can be a full-time job in itself, taking care of um, I have three sisters, so taking care of four kids going through school while my dad's off at work. So um, anyway, the the one of the things that my dad taught me at a young age was, you know, he has a saying, you can have anything you want in this life as long as you're willing to work your ass off for it and don't give up. And that stuck with me my entire life. And he also taught me a unwavering work ethic that he has himself. And he instilled this into me as a very young boy when I was not even old enough to uh, mow a yard by myself. I was probably like three years old. And uh, I post this picture on my social media every now and then. But it's, some people don't even know what this style of lawnmower looks like. But it's just your typical push mower. Like you have, and it usually has a bar in the middle. So my mom was pushing the push mower from the top. And I was so small. I was standing down and barely able to reach the the bar in the middle but I was pushing the mower like with her through the yard and somebody took a picture a long time ago so every time I see it pop up in my memories it just takes me back to where that's when I was I didn't obviously I didn't know I was a, just a little baby but I was getting that work ethic instilled into me at that young of an age that's when it was starting so <clears throat> I was, he always taught me that uh, hard work and being consistent and also if he taught me the value of a dollar by if you if you want something as a kid or whatever, like say I wanted a new bike, no problem, but you have to pay for half of it. I'm like, how am I going to pay for half of it? I'm just a kid. I don't I don't know. Um, so he's like, well, go ask the neighbor if you can cut their yard. And I'm like, oh, I do know how to cut grass now because you taught me since ever since I was little. 
So before you knew it, I was cutting all the yards, uh, well, pretty much every yard on my street for like 10 or 15 bucks. And so I'm like over here rolling, bankrolling when I was like just so such a young age, but I was able to get my half of the money for the new bikes or if I wanted new shoes or whatever, he was making me pay for half. So that taught me the value of a dollar. And that's something that obviously I'm super grateful for. Uh, yeah, I, I actually have a very similar story, man. I, for, for one thing, I've got about a half acre property. So we have a, a riding mower and, um, there's still those portions right around the house and stuff that, you know, the riding mower can't get up into. And then the front yard is just too small for a riding mower. So, I've got a push mower, exact design as you're talking about, a little bar right there in the middle. My 13-year-old doesn't understand why the riding mower is for dad and the push mower is for him. <laughs> uh, but I'm like, hey, I'm too old to be doing that shit anymore. That's your job now. Uh, and, you know, you're right. Like, I don't care if you're three or four years old, man. You got to pay for your keep around here. And uh, my kids, we've had some of those come to Jesus meetings where we're like, hey, you know, they'll say, I, I really wanted this or I want that or like so-and-so gets this and my, my other friend gets that and uh, y'all don't give me anything. I'm like, hmm, let me try this light switch over here. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, the light switch works. So you have electricity in your bedroom. And how's the, the temperature? You sleep in and yeah, and it feels nice and cool in here <laughs> on these hot Texas summer days and you know, all of this different stuff. I'm like, that's weird. It seems like you have a lot to pay for, you know? And uh, I, I think it stems from, I had to work for so much of my life. Cause I grew up middle-class. We were fine. Everything was great. Vacation all the time, going through divorces and stuff. We turned into poor folk, man. That was, you know, eating ramen and rice in different ways just to try and have something in your stomach type stuff. And so I worked because I needed to help pay some bills. Yep. And I think coming from that, I was like, I don't want my kids to have to do that. But at the same time, I love this. You've got to pay for half. You have to do something. You have to earn it because it is so easy for kids to not understand the value of a dollar. And my dad was the same way. Like I'd shoot pool at 13 years old in the ice house, hanging out with my dad and play beer for beer. And then my dad would cut me the money at the end of the night for whatever he got out of that. And that's how, you know, just one way I earned my keep. Yep. I'd help the guy. Uh, his name was Woody. We'd do uh, DJ and, and karaoke shows and stuff out there. And nice. he couldn't lift the equipment because of a medical disability. And so he'd pay me 30 bucks a night just to load the equipment or unload the equipment, depending on what his needs were. There you go. And then boom, there's some extra money, you know, and then pops put me to work doing flooring stuff because he owned a flooring business. And uh, I actually got paid really well in that one. I'd have to tear up a lot of floors, but I'd get two, 300 bucks a weekend and half of it had to go to a savings. The other half, I could do whatever I wanted to with it. Very cool. And, you know, nine out of 10 times, I wanted to save a little bit more money because at the end of it, when I was 16, the goal was we're going to get your first car for you and whatever money you save up in that savings account, I'll match it a hundred percent to go toward buying you a car. That's awesome. So I love these stories, man. I love, and maybe it's a Southern thing. I don't know. I don't know if it extends up North or not, but I, I love hearing stuff like that because it really does put you in an entrepreneur mindset. Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, I have tons and tons of stories that, I was uh, on a po or two podcasts yesterday. I've been, I feel like on a, a roll here, like just podcast after podcast, but uh, they were asking me some of the similar questions and um, yeah, just knowing the value of a dollar and getting that work ethic instilled into you is things that you, you, people can, I, I've heard people say this and I believe it as well. People can take, you can lose everything like at any given time, but what you do not 
lose is your knowledge that you've gained. And if it happened and also your unwavering work ethic, your consistency, always showing up and, and the knowledge that you have. Uh, so a lot of entrepreneurs say that they're like, you take everything from me. I'll do it again because you have it up upstairs. So, you know, you'll be able to what took you 10, 15, 20 years to do, you might be able to do it in two or three because you know all the shortcuts, all the things that you learned the hard way over the years. Like now you know the answer to them and how to skip step one through five and end up at six. Like, so, but when you're first learning and um, you don't have a mentor or something like that, you have to take the licks and, and go broke sometimes and find out the hard way. But that's another thing, like having a mentor is, a huge uh, asset. If you can get a mentor, I highly recommend it. And the bit, and I understand now the problem with a lot of people not wanting to do one, not wanting to do mentorships when they get super successful, and two, why they don't want to do it for free. Because one, it's like when people win the lottery. What happens to them a year later? Ninety-five percent of them are broke because they don't have anything invested into it. Same thing when they get a, a mentor, they could be a hundred million dollar person worth like a billion dollars or whatever. And if they get put in the room with this person and they're asking all these questions and it doesn't cost them anything, a lot of them waste it. They don't, they don't go and apply it or they, so you wasted this guy's time and sometimes multiple times. So now it made me also understand why people charge for these mentorships or these master classes or whatever, because you don't want a lot of people in there that are just wasting your space and time and not going to apply it. So more than likely, if you have something, usually money invested into bettering yourself, you're more than, you're more likely to use it because you know you had to give up a lot of hours of your life to purchase this course or purchase this mastermind to be in the same room as this uh, super successful person to get these secrets. And you're like, okay, I need to use this because uh, I paid a lot of money for it. I had to trade 200 hours of my life working for what, like, however I earned it to get into this room. So I need to make sure I apply it and get your return on investment just like that person did. So definitely. Yeah. So changing from, you know, learning how to do stuff around the house, mow yards and all that, man, did you have a full-time job at one point? One or four? <laughs> one or four. Yeah. Uh, where'd you go after that? You know, I mean, cause I hear so many of these stories where it's kind of like, it's one or the other, you know, sometimes they say I went straight into entrepreneurship and it was just, I knew what I wanted to do. And I, I did it from the beginning, you know, and then um, I feel like a lot of those people are kind of lucky in the fact that they have a really good setup. You know, mom or dad is super successful um, in the business. It doesn't fall into their lap because we've heard the stories right here on the show where some of them have worked their ass off to get what they have, even though uh, they could be in essence considered like a trust fund baby. Yeah, I get um, it. But then at, at the same time, there are some people like me where it's like, hey, I'm grinding a full time job and a part-time job that's kind of a full-time job as well as my entrepreneurship journey and then trying to transition into full-time entrepreneur eventually. So my story looks a little different. So I'm just wondering like, 
did you go straight into it or from kind of what you were saying, it sounds like maybe you bounced around a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, uh, at first, like my, well, like I said, I was cutting grass on my, my street when I was a young boy and I continued to cut grass as a side hustle my entire life until I moved out here to Vegas. Obviously the grass cutting business out here isn't that great because it's just a bunch <laughs> grass of Grass is not greener on that side. <laughs> right. So, um, but I use that as like a side hustle to, cause it's just cash also. So you're getting like a, what a 30% is under the table. So you're getting a 30% bonus on all your money, not having to get it taxed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you're paying that to uncle Sam, of course, yep. but yeah, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a kid, whatever, but I mean, I did it up until I moved here. So, um, anyway, so my sisters and family, they were always like, he's a little entrepreneur. Like he's like, he's going to figure something out one day. And, but I never did any type of technically a business. Uh, so as I continue to grow up, I had different jobs. My first job on paper was actually chopping cotton in the fields of Mississippi. Um, this was something that definitely shaped me and makes me super grateful. I've had a lot of jobs that makes me even more grateful and gives me that perspective of what else is out there because I've done them. I've chopped cotton. I've waited tables. I've worked in insanely hot, like, I mean, chopping cotton in the fields of Mississippi with the humidity, like it's, it's no joke anyway. And I mean, you're, you're literally using a hoe. So my, I'm getting done at the end of the day, I got blisters, my hands are bleeding, my ears are peeling because they got burnt by the sun, just all these things. But, uh, doing all these different jobs definitely shaped me into the person that I am today and also makes me even more grateful for uh, being able to be here. So, um, after I graduated high school and went to college, I actually made a post about my thoughts on college this morning on my social media. Uh, it's probably similar for a lot of entrepreneurs, but anyway, um, my two cents on that real quick is uh, I think we need to quit telling kids that the only way that you can be successful is if you go to college. This is not true. I, I mean, and I I could go on a whole nother tangent about that, but I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, I do think there is a necessity for certain things for college. Like if you want, for example, a doctor, of course you can't go on the internet and learn how to be a doctor. Like you have to go to school for that. So, but I think for the vast majority of people that are going to be blue collar workers, tradesmen, say, for example, a plumber or a, a carpenter or something like that, my two cents is go work for a person. And even if you have to work for them for free for months, you're going to be in a, but you're learning the trade, like show up on time, like ask questions, do anything they want you to do, learn how to do that. And after you work for them for months, more than likely, if you ask them like, Hey, like, do you think I could get a job here? Like I know how to do all this stuff. The best guy taught me how to do all this stuff. So I have a, a good skill set. You're not hiring just some random person off the street and they'll know what type of person you are. So more than likely they're going to give you a job and you don't have $30,000 in student loan debt over your head trying to get started in life. And that, I did that. I got, uh, I mean, I did the wrong way. I went to college, uh, National Auto Diesel College, because I thought I wanted to be an auto collision repair tech. And I got this monstrous amount of debt. I finished second in my class and they were promising me the whole time. Oh yeah, man, when you get out, we're going to get you a job. We got good relationships uh, with uh, Bentley, Maserati, like naming off all these high-end car manufacturers. And I'm like, awesome. Like I thought I had it made. Anyway, well, I graduate and the weeks keep going by, weeks keep going by, nobody's calling. 
I'm like, let me call the, the college and ask them like, what's going on. I call them, Oh, the market's flooded. Like we can't really find anything for you. Like we used to. I'm like, man, I, I just spent $30,000 to go to college. And this was back when I graduated. So that's in O2. It was a massive amount of money. I mean, it still is, but even way more massive at that point. So, uh, they're like, but we'll, we'll keep looking for you. We'll try our best to find you something. I'm like, okay, cool. The only call that I ever got was six months later. You know who it was? It was Sally May. She was wanting her money back for the student loans. And I had no job. I was living with my parents and they were my dad because he had raised me to be this hardworking individual. And I got kind of in a slump and I was I was becoming a bum. Basically, I was I was living with my parents. I was playing video games all night long, sleeping till lunchtime like this, this whole thing repetitive. And uh, when they called and said, I need my or we need our money, basically. And my, my dad's like. Uh, cause he co-signed on the loan for the, um, the tuition. And so they're, if I don't pay it, they're going to take it from him. So that made him super upset. He gave me an ultimatum. You can either go find a job or you're getting out of my house. I'm like, Oh crap. <laughs> so he ends up finding me a job at a place that he, uh, previously worked out many, many years before. And it was totally unrelated to anything that I went to school for. And this is a, a, another reminder, uh, and why my thoughts of college are what they are. And I know my story isn't abnormal. I know so many people now that experience the same exact thing. They go pay an absurd amount of money to become whatever it is. And they get out and they think they're going to be making six figures a year. If they do happen to get a job in the thing that they went to college for, it's usually a quarter or half of what they thought they were going to be getting paid. And a a majority of them can't even get a job in what they got this piece of paper for, like this degree. And I was the same person, like that devastated me. And I was like, I was so upset, furious for so long because I'm like, I'm having to pay these people this money and I'm not even using it man it so that's why i tell people if you're going to do a trade like auto body or whatever go to a body shop say like go to the body man or hey can i be an apprentice to you for however long you can learn exactly what a school was going to teach you from a person and not and they'll get value from you because you're helping them you're running to get tools or do all the little stuff that they don't want to do but they're going to be teaching you and then after 3 or 6 months you're going to get a job there more than likely. If not, you can go somewhere else and like, Hey, I worked under Jonathan Price for six months. He taught me everything he knows pretty much exactly how to do this. Um, do you think I could uh, come on with you? Oh yeah, I know him. Like he's a great body man or whatever. So anyway, that's my two cents on college going. So after I graduated college, I got back home and I was doing, I was working these, um, odd jobs, but I started cutting grass again and I worked at the place my dad got me a job at for a little while, but I um, found myself over at an airport working, um, pumping gas into airplanes, like for the private airplanes. So uh, at one time, I was working seven days a week at the airport, a uh, minimum of 60 hours a week there. But I'm like, the only way that I knew how to make money is if I was trading hours of my life for dollars, basically. It's a common thing when you're getting started. So I'm like, okay, I have some extra time when I get off because I think I was working 5 a.m. to 3 p.m. or something like that. So I was majority of my time was taken up in the morning time. So I had my afternoons were kind of free. 
I'm like, okay, I need to get some more yards to cut. So I ended up getting, I would average around six to 10 yards weekly to cut after I got off from there. Uh, so I was doing that because I knew how to cut grass. And these people that were flying in and out of there in their private jets, I'm like, man, I, I wonder if I could, I learned how to wash cars really good when I was in the auto collision uh, school because that's a thing before you give the cars back to the, uh, the owners, you want them to be clean. So I'm like, I wonder if I could wash these people's cars when they're gone on their trips or whatever. So I started detailing cars for these people when they were gone on their trips. I would detail their cars and then they'd come back like, I wonder if I could detail, detail an airplane. And I'd ask them like, hey, when's your next trip? And I went two weeks. I'm like, oh, do you want me to clean up your airplane for you? So I started detailing airplanes. And I still found that I had a few hours like late at night that I wasn't really doing anything productive. I was, uh, besides playing, well, it's not productive, but I was playing video games. So I'm like, what else could I do? I love this place in my small town. There's a restaurant called Sherman's. I ate there pretty frequently. And I'm like, I wonder if I could wait tables. So at one time I was working at the airport seven days a week, pumping gas in airplanes. I mean, I'll do anything. I was really a do anything person. I was pumping gas into them. I was doing some maintenance. I was vacuuming the floors. I was cleaning the toilets. I didn't care. Like I, I would do, and I loved it because I love aviation. But I, while I was doing that, I was cutting my yards. I was detailing cars and airplanes and I was waiting tables at one time. So I had those four things going on at my height of multiple hats being weared of uh, or worn, weird, um, worn. I was doing all those. You know, things. you came from the south. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. My vocabulary is not the best for sure. You, <laughs> but anyway, so I was doing those four things. Um, just trying to. I think my ultimate mindset at that time was: if I work all the time, I won't have time to spend money. So I will eventually start saving money and making money. And then uh, my dad always taught me to save, save for a rainy day. But a lot of times I saved for a long time to just go buy something that was more expensive. Um, so it didn't really start sinking in for me to start inve like investing until I was probably in my late 20s. Uh, I started somewhat making sense. But even though like he taught me save, 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 I would. But then I would go blow it on something stupid. <laughs> like, but anyway, live and learn, right? I mean, that, and that's the whole point of this is to see where people learn their lessons and how, and then how that relates to what they're doing now. So what is that transition? When did you figure out that sound inside of vehicles was something you had an interest in? Uh, the initial thing that got me hooked on car audio was, um, so in the I don't know if it was just Mississippi or what, but back in my day, I feel like I'm 90 years old telling these stories, but they had a thing that was called a hardship license. So you could get an actual oh, yeah. uh, license at uh, 14. So my, when I was chopping cotton, my first job, I got this hardship license where I could uh, just go back and forth to work. So, um, uh, but you can only drive between the hours of like 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Just basically to go to work or go to lunch, whatever. So um, I was I was coming back from work and I met my mom for uh, dinner or something. And I had to take the vehicle that I had at the time to well, it was my dad's truck to get something done to it. So I was riding with my mom back to the house and we pull up at this red light. And I'm like, what is that sound? And I'm looking around and like, I don't know. I mean, I'm just 14, so I don't know anything about this. And it wasn't, I don't think that popular back then. And, uh, and I, I feel my mom's van vibrating and stuff. I'm like, mom, is something wrong with your van? And, uh, she's like, oh no, that's, 
that's this uh loud music and i'm like music and the guy pulls up beside us and like he has the windows down and his mirrors shaking and like this going all crazy and it's shaking my mom's mirrors and i'm over here thinking this is the coolest thing ever my mom is like has this most disgusted look on her face <laughs> like this dang hoodlum is like uh yep, disturbing always. the peace or whatever Anyway, the light turns green and he pulls off and we're headed home. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, man, that was so cool. Like, I, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. But what was it? Like, I didn't know what was actually causing these waves of sound. So anyway, fast forward a few months after that, I was on my way home from work from uh, Chopping Cotton. And I pull up at a, a red light and the guy pulls up beside me again. Like, I hadn't seen him since. Then. It was like a few months later. And uh, he pulls up beside me, has this music playing. I'm like, holy crap, this dude's there again. Light turns green. I'm following this guy. Like, I'm definitely following him wherever he's going. So he's driving around for miles, and I'm just like creeping behind him. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know where he's going, but like, I'm going to talk to him. So he ends up pulling up at this gas station, and I pull in behind him. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm, I'm not trying to be creepy or whatever, but like, I hear your vehicle. Like, what is that? And he's like, oh, it's subwoofers. And I'm like, what's a subwoofer? I don't know what that is. And he's like, oh, it makes the bass sound that, you, that you're hearing. And I'm like, man, that's the coolest thing ever. And he's like, oh, I can show it to you. I work at a local shop. And, uh, and I'm like, okay. So he opens up. He has an awesome install. It's really clean. And I'm like, I was just blown away. I was hooked. And I'm like, this is so cool. So that's what got me hooked on car audio. And ever since that day, I've always had like a thing for sound and sounding good and, and pushing the envelope of sound as well. Like, I mean, now fast forward to this day, I have a, a vehicle, a Chevy Tahoe with nine 18 inch subwoofers in it. It's got 72, uh, eight inch mid ranges in all the doors over 150,000 Watts of power. Like I had to put a plexi, uh, polycarbonate windshield in there with bolts to, cause I kept blowing the windshield out. So anyway, that him and, and I'm like, do I owe me being into sound the way that I am now to this guy pulling it? Was that the moment that paved this in like this whole journey for me to be where I am today? Because I remember it like it was yesterday. It gives me goosebumps talking about it because I'm like, yeah, that that was when I found out about car audio and it, and it got me. It was hooked. your calling. Yeah. So always had a thing for it. And uh, when I got out of college, I was always tinkering with trying to have a bigger and better system and stuff. And it, it just kind of grew from there. Man, I, uh, going back to sound, same thing. I mean, I own an event services company and, um, one of my favorite things is going to buy sound equipment for that type of, you know, particular use and, and just trying to figure out how we can be loud, but how we can be more compact now that technology has advanced to where, you know, I can play enough sound for two, 300 people outdoors where it's, it's loud enough that, I mean, even if you had a thousand people in the crowd, they could still hear you clearly. That's the big thing is it's good sound. Yep. And you know, this is a system that one DJ can show up and lug around in his car, put up by himself in less than an hour and have that ready to go for all those people, you know? And, and so sound has always interested me. Cause like I said, I was DJing and running karaoke shows in the bar at 13 years old. Wow. So <laughs> that's awesome. I'm with you there of just sound has always been kind of ingrained into me. And my sister was a little bit older than me. So all her boyfriends, you know, growing up in the nineties, that's, that's everything was all about how loud your vehicle was and not the mufflers, right. but you know, what kind of speakers you have in the back, what kind of amp do you have pushing it and how much can you vibrate everything and everyone that's around Absolutely. you. And uh, so, man, I've, I've been there since that day um i couldn't afford it 
as I was kind of becoming an adult, it just wasn't in the cards for me to be able to afford it. And then now with my Jeep Wrangler, uh, much to my wife's dismay, I am the hoodlum. <laughs> she looks at me like I'm crazy because I've it. got two 15-inch kicker comp R's. Um, I used to have a really nice kicker amp, but the fuse actually melted because it just wasn't a big enough fuse, okay. even though the sound guy told me it was. Gotcha. Um, and so it luckily my vehicle did not catch on fire or anything because i mean it was completely melted yep. and it blew my amp out oh, okay. i had a a kicker like 1600.1 okay whatever gotcha. specifications that are way above my knowledge of car audio yeah. uh, i just know that it was loud enough that i had a a carpeted box that it came with and it blew the sides off of the box <laughs> i've seen that before and so because i'm the same way like it's going to be all the way up or nothing right those are the two two ways i want my brain to rattle around in my skull a little bit as i'm driving down the road yep, yep. <laughs> and uh so i actually swapped into a rhino lined box after that i thought i blew a speaker and uh, i went up to a sound shop and i was like hey just you know how much if i can get another kicker comp bar like this one or you know just get new speakers or what and as soon as I reached in to touch the box to show him, I was like, never mind, figured it out. So got a real nice Rhino line box in the back of my Jeep that's, you know, way too big and takes up way too much space, but it's totally worth that's it. That's right. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I've always had that same interest as you, man. I grew up around it and everybody was always just, you know, at the time 12s were just big. Uh, my brother-in-law loved his 10s that were like super compact, but still had a really good sound to them. And I'm with you like nine eighteens. That'd be great. I would love to have that in the back of something, but I just don't have the, the room for it in my Jeep. Right, so right. you know how it is. You got to have a compact system in those Jeeps. Oh and yeah. Then if the, if you can go Marine or outdoor friendly, it's even better that way. But I love sound. That's why whenever your email came across my desk, I was like, man, this is going to be a good conversation because I love the car audio space. Um, you know, and then again, Marine outdoors, boats, all that kind of stuff, man, sound systems are, amazing no matter what vehicle you're putting them on so what is it exactly that down for sound is doing it looks like are y'all building your own manufacturing your own speakers and amps and all of those things or you know kind of what's your ideal client yeah so uh, i mean our 99 percent of our clients are do-it-yourself type people that are going to be installing their own stuff uh that's well i'll say 95 percent uh some of them purchase it and they try to take it somewhere and have somebody else install it uh, there's a kind of a gray awkward area there because most of the shops that you go to they want you to purchase the stuff from them if they're going to install it uh which i get it uh, but anyway um that's our our typical client is somebody that's usually doing it themselves uh the way that i know you're going to ask me like how down for sound came about and what made me think like oh i need to i need to do this as a business so the way that that happened was uh, I was growing my social media following uh, on YouTube primarily initially, and I was getting a, a good following and I was going to these shows. My system was like the bigger my system, I've made my system, the more um, crowd that it drew when I went to these shows. So I was gaining popularity there and I started recording the videos and sharing them on YouTube and people want to love seeing themselves on the YouTube videos. And obviously that's like a snowball effect. Every time I go to the next show, Oh, I like, I want to hear your stuff. I saw it on uh, YouTube. Like, so it started making me a little bit e-famous at the time. And, um, but every time that I would give people these demos, they would ask me the same quote, most of them would ask me the same question, where do you get your equipment from? And this kept happening and I wasn't really 
thinking it wasn't clicking. And then one day somebody asked me that after they got a demo from me and they're like, where do you get your equipment from? It was like the light bulb just snapped in my head. I could be selling these people this stuff. Wait, how do you sell people stuff? How, like, how do you start a business? So then all those questions came after it, but that's how like the idea of down for sound started. And Obviously, it wasn't an easy road getting started, and but I went from, in the matter of seven years, I ended up getting fired from the airport, got forced to, I'm trying to condense the timeline, but got fired from the airport. I was moving to Las Vegas. I uh, was forced to figure stuff out. I thought when I moved out here to Vegas that I would get a job at another airport because I had 10 years of experience. I'll get hired, no problem. Uh, never got a call again, just like college, like never got a call, but that ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me was nobody ever called me and it forced me. My back was against the wall. I was out here living with my girlfriend, now fiance. I was living with her. I was being a bum. Like I didn't, I had no source of income. So I'm like, I got to figure this out. Ended up figuring it out. It went from basically jobless to the past two years. I've done over $17 million a year in revenue and going from being fired jobless where I was making $30,000 a year. So you can figure it out. Uh, as, but at that time I also made a YouTube video. I was like so devastated because you'd lose your prime source of income and so many people become so dependent on that. It's normal. But uh, when that happens and your it's basically like your livelihood is sucked from you. You're like, Oh crap. Like, what do I do now? But as long as you don't give up, you remain consistent and like you can achieve. I mean, my level of success, like I know people that are way more successful. I know people are equally as successful and there's different people. Success is different for every person. Like, and to me it's uh, about having freedom, like having choices. And, um, anyway, so I've been able to do this in a relatively short amount of time just by figuring things out. And again, when I, when the idea first popped in my head, I knew, I knew nothing about business or selling stuff or a warehouse, the 30,000 feet, like stocking all this product, like, but it's able to be figured out and having a mentor. I didn't always have a mentor, but, uh, in the past few or four years, I've had one kind of at my, um, at my beck and call. I don't try to bother him that much, but if it's, uh, uh, thing that's coming up that I haven't experienced before, uh, hit him up for his, his expertise, his, he has the knowledge or whatever. And he's helped me, um, become what I am today a lot faster than I maybe would have been able to figure it out. So mentors are huge, but, um, it's been heck of a journey so far. So what is it then, you know, you go from figuring out you need to sell something cause you got to make money, which I love that story too, because, so many great businesses are built out of that hardship. You know, with me, I'm trying to transition from one thing to another. And so many entrepreneurs have that story where it was like, yeah, my main source of income got shut off and that was it. I had, I had to sink or swim. And so I guess let's start with what you started doing and then kind of progress into what it is that you do now. Same company, you know, but just what did you start selling and then what do you sell now? Okay. Uh, well, initially I started selling some like t-shirts and like little knickknack uh, apparel type things to kind of really cover my expenses to go to the shows and stuff like recoup some of my gas money, hotel, 
Um, sometimes I couldn't even afford a hotel. So I either slept in my vehicle or slept under my vehicle. <laughs> my fiance would be laughing right now. if She knew this. Um, there's so many stories inside of my journey, like trying to pick the ones that people can really relate to. But, uh, that's definitely one of them. Uh, when I was going to these shows and trying, I was working at the airport, and going to the shows when I wasn't making that much money then, but I, I just like going to the shows initially, but I'm like, I need to start selling something, uh, just t-shirts and apparel because people would ask me if I had anything to represent me. And that didn't make sense to me either. I'm like, why do you want to represent me? Like I'm, <laughs> I'm just this dude. Um, anyway, so that was the first couple of things because obviously it's a, a, a lower cost item. Um, and my fear at that time was, people like these t-shirt manufacturers are like, Oh, you got to buy a minimum of 50 shirts or whatever. I'm like 50 shirts. I just have three people that are wanting t-shirts and how do I know what size the next person is going to be? I don't know that. Am I going to be able to sell it? Or am I going to have to give them away to my family or whatever? So that was like a, a big hurdle for me. My initial hurdle was trying to figure out what size t-shirts I was going to buy. And it didn't make sense to me because I didn't know what size the next person was going to be. Um, so after I got fired and you talk about people that are in the transition, sometimes they're stuck with the comfort of and, and this. I don't this may be kind of where you're at. You're like, uh, I'm working here as comfortable. I got good retirement. I got like insurance, like all these things. So all these things are in their head. That comfort is this. All it is is just that comfort. And it was the same way with me. I'm like, I have this job. I'm not really. And it made me not really push down for sound or start selling sound because i'm like oh i can i'll just get to it whenever um but now i know like i've, I've been to tons of wealth building seminars and like all kind of business strategy uh, masterminds all these things and m most of the people say when your side hustle starts exceeding your primary source of income or even getting close you need to step away from it because it's going to push you like your back's then going to be against the wall. Like I got to do this. I don't, I don't have a choice. And not that you have to burn the bridge, so to speak. But most of the time when you make that decision, it's going to push you to um, go and do better and make what you're doing. Your, your, your full-time, obviously your thing, because that's what you have to do. So after I got fired and I moved to Vegas, nobody called me to hire me on at the airport. I'm feeling like a bum sitting in my girlfriend's townhouse with the the little bit of stock that I had. Um, I just had some speakers, a couple of subs. I didn't have a much because I was broke. Like I just, but I, I knew that I needed to invest some money into some product to be able to sell it. At that time, I was lucky if I was getting one order a week for something. I mean, it could be a small fifty dollars speaker. So I was still broke. Like I wasn't <laughs> like, you're not making that much money off of these things. So you're not bringing in that much money and she's paying for like the, the rent, the everything. So I'm just, again, I'm, I'm kind of in this feeling of helpless. Like I, I'm, I'm not good. I'm not, I'm not even good enough to be with her because I'm not providing anything to her besides like, I love you like you're like you're beautiful uh but i'm not providing any sort of thing that us as men we we want to be the the rock the shoulder to cry on the the providers you know so and i'm doing none of this so it was affecting me mentally for that reason 
So I decided, and this is kind of my secret sauce. I decided to, because I had my following, I was building my uh, online presence via YouTube and Facebook. It was just cross-pollinating Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, all these things. They just started like slowly building. Um, And I'm like, how do I let people know that I have this? I mean, I have a website, but do, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to Every single day or every time that I get an order, I'm going to take the invoice. I'm going to personally sign a thank you. uh, Thank you, John. And then sign my my autograph on there. Like, so I'm giving them a personal thank you. And I'm also going to take a picture of their product, me with their product or do a little video. And I did that every time I got an order. And if I'm like, if I don't get an order, I'm going to go pick some random product that I have and take a little picture of it or talk about it or whatever. I did that every single day and I still do it to this day. Not uh, not every single day because I have a ton of other stuff going on. We come out with new products. I go live on Facebook. Um, I'm letting people know because you, if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. So that's what I did over and over and over. And eventually it started to get a little bit of traction where I'm like, okay, I'm not a complete bum now. Like I'm, I'm able to bring in a little bit. Um, and we, uh, so every time I made some money, I invested everything, all the money that I had back into getting more product. Cause I'm like, if I keep flipping this time and time again, it's gonna, it's gonna continue to grow. And so I kept doing that. So I was, I was broke because I was, uh, inventory poor. Like I had a lot of inventory, but I had, or cash poor. Uh, I had a lot of inventory on, I say a lot at the time. I thought I had a lot of inventory, but I had no cash because I just kept dumping everything back in. So as that grew, it was, and I was operating it out of her townhome. So it was filling up the garage. It was filling up the uh, kitchen and living room area. I had taken over one of the spare bedrooms, made it my office. And I was lugging stuff all through the house. The house was filthy with my foot like the traffic um my foot traffic going in and out there with my shoes on it was blackening up the carpet that was like a white color so she wasn't that happy about that but it made me realize okay i need to actually get a place that i can store my product at so i went down the road uh and found a storage unit a 10 by 15 storage unit i'm like okay I, i need to get this to get all the product there to get it out of the house so i'm not like destroying our house so much and making it look like a a business because it's her house um so anyway i go down there and they're like okay we need three months of rent like down payment 400 i think it's 450 bucks or whatever i'm like crap i don't even have 450 dollars how, how how am i gonna come up with this so anyway i scratch up the change to get the uh the storage unit and i take all the product down there so i'm operating it like that for a little while running like again i might get an order once at that time, like after that was about a, a few months later, that time I was getting an order maybe every other day or something. It was starting to pick up the volume. And sometimes I get two orders in a day. But anytime I'd get an order, I would run down there, grab the product, drive back to the house, print the label, like do all that. And then and I would take it over to the FedEx. And a few hours later, five hours later, sometimes I'd get another order. I'm like, okay, I'm going to run back down there again. And so I'm running back and forth and uh, doing that for a few months. I'm like, man, this this doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like I'm running all over the place all day long, but I'm not productive at all because you're doing so much running. So that's when the thought came to, I need to have an actual location, like a small warehouse that I can have a little office, have the little product that I have and 
and get it going as more of an official business instead of running it out of a garage. Uh, but you hear the stories that so many people start their things out of garages, out of attics and uh, all, all this. And mine's very similar to that. Um, but so I end up looking around and I'm like, man, a, a thousand square foot, that'd be plenty to do what I need to do. Okay. I'm looking and looking and my mentor, um, now I didn't really know him that well at that point, but some of the other business owners that I was selling their product for, uh, I would talk to them and I would, uh, message them on Facebook and stuff. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to look for a little warehouse, a thousand square foot. And they're like, what? A thousand square feet. Well, like, what are you going to do with that? I'm like, well, I, I can't even afford the thousand square feet. So how am I going to look for something bigger than that? Cause usually warehouse space is around a dollar a square foot out here. So, um, I'm like, I'm looking at a thousand bucks a month and I could just barely pay for the storage unit. That's 150 bucks a month. They're like, man, basically they told me we see how fast you're growing and, uh, just, just do it. Like look for something bigger. So I ended up going and getting like a 2,500 square foot warehouse and they're wanting two or three months in advance. And I'm like, how do I do this? Like, so every time it happens, like it's that big hurdle that you're having to overcome. But, um, so I got the 2,500 square foot warehouse, did that for, I think I signed a two or three year lease on that. And within a year and a half, I was outgrowing that space. And I started looking for my second warehouse, which is going to be 7,500 square foot. So I'm going from $150 a month to $2,500 a month in rent to $7,500 a month in rent. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, how am I going to afford this? Because at the time, like I was still cash poor. Like I, I, I was just putting everything into the inventory and, um, I was looking for the second place, which was 7,500 square feet. And this was probably one my dad, like I told you, he always told me to save, save for a rainy day. And, uh, cause you never know what day is going to rain, like, and you're going to need it. So when I was moving into my second warehouse or trying to move into there, uh, I found this place and I called the guy and I'm like, Hey, can I come look at your place? Like I, I really like the outside and everything. He's like, sure. So he meets up with me and I probably get him to let me see the place like 10 times before, like I'm, I pull the trigger. Cause I'm like, I'm going for $2,500 a, uh, a month to $7,500 a month. That's a major difference in my head. And of course, I'm still terrified that I'm going to fail because I'm just in those early stages. So <clears throat> anyway, I finally make the decision to uh, get into this or to that I want to get into this place. And uh, I mentioned, like, I'll take it. Like, let me know what I need to do next. He's like, well, I'll send you over the paperwork and fill it out and uh, get us your financials and stuff. So I sent it all over to my accountant and uh, I got it back, uh, got it sent back over there. And I don't, I don't get a call back from him. I'm like, man, am I having a deja vu again? Like what's going on? So I text him, no response, try to call him a bunch, like for weeks, no response. I'm like, what, what the hell is going on? And I'm like, okay, he won't answer. I'll go back to the sign that I saw and uh, find the company. So I found the company. I called to the main headquarters downtown uh, Las Vegas. I'm like, hey, and I can remember this dude's name. Like I met him that one time and his name is Jake Higgins. And I can remember it like it was yesterday because it was a, a turning point in my entire life that this happened to me. So I called them and I'm like, uh, hey, I've been trying to get in touch with Jake Higgins. Is he still with the company? He's not giving me a call back. He was hitting me back left and right when I was looking for this uh, building. And she's like, I believe so. Let me check. 
put, puts me on hold, comes back. Yeah, he's he's still at the company. Uh, uh, what do you need? And I'm like, well, I mean, I was trying to get this new building at 950 Pilot Road, and I, I can't get a response from him. And she's like, okay, put me on hold again. And she comes back. She's like, oh, sorry, sir. Like, you basically told me you can't afford this. Like, the, when they saw my – because I wasn't making a ton of money at that time or bringing in a ton of revenue to be able to afford – I don't know, close to a hundred thousand dollars in rent at the time. Uh, with they have cam fees and stuff. I don't know if that's uh, a thing around y'all. So, even like you have all this stuff tacked on top of it. So, um, you can't afford uh, this rent out of like the revenue that you're making. And I'm like, I'm devastated. I just knew that that was going to be the place that I was going to move into. I loved it. You know, sometimes in life, something happens. You see something. You're like, that's the one. That's the one right there. I know that's the one this was that building and uh i told her i'm like are you sure there's nothing that can be done like can you check she's like okay i'll, I'll go talk to my manager or higher up or whatever she comes back and she's like i'm sorry to tell you this but it's it's pretty much i'm probably not not gonna happen and i'm like well what they say and they said the only way that we can make this uh, happen for you is if you pay a year's rent in advance and i was like wow and uh, she told me it was close to a hundred thousand dollars and i'm like i took about 30 seconds like it was dead silent on the phone i'm like do you want it in cash or a check and she she's dead silent on the response as well and i'm like hello and she's like did you did you just ask me if i wanted cash or a check i was like yeah do you want it in cash or a check i think i had a hundred and two thousand dollars in my account or whatever it was so it, I had to think, I'm like, do I really want to take, cause I'm going all in. Like, I'm like, if, if I really yeah. believe in this, I got to go all in. And, uh, it gives me, man, I got, I'm covered in goosebumps right now because it was one of those moments in my life that I'm just like, I got to make this decision. I'm going to do this. This is going to be it. She's like, cashier's check is fine. I'm like, when do you want me to bring it to you? Well, at lunchtime is, is fine. Now I go to the bank, I get this check for a cashier's check for $100,000, whatever it was. I drive down there, this massive building, like I'm, it's downtown Las Vegas, like skyscraper type building, go up to the 50th floor, get out and there's a receptionist there. Uh, I'm like, I'm here to speak to whoever it was. And she's like, oh yeah, she's in the conference room in there. And I walk in there, it's like this huge conference table, 50 seats at it. She's sitting at the end and like, you can see all the downtown Las Vegas, the strip down there and everything. I'm just like, is this a movie? Like what, what is happening right now? I felt like I was in the matrix or something. I'm like, but anyway, go on there and I put the check down on the thing. She picks it up and looks at it. She's like, in my 30 years of doing this, I have never had this situation happen before. And I'm blown away that this is happening right now. I was like, you and me both, but I can I get those keys. And she's like, yes, yeah, sign right here. Yeah. So I signed and I was like, man, I was walking out of there so happy. Uh, but that was like, again, you know, I tell these stories just getting slapped in the face over and over and over. And you're like, why me? Like, why does this keep happening to me? But now I know why it's made me stronger and it's made me more weathered to these situations that happen. So when I started looking for my warehouse that I have now, so uh, almost it's been about two and a half years ago, I moved into my current warehouse that is 30,000 square feet and we have higher ceilings. We have more racking and everything like that. So that's, over the course of six years, kind of going from operating out of a garage, an attic, and then a little storage unit to 30,000 square foot warehouse, um, over 15 people on my team, 
Uh, so it's, it's been quite the journey, but uh, so grateful that um, I'm grateful for the things that have happened to me, especially those hard times, because again, it, every time you learn something new, like you learn to, I got to expect this right hook that's going to be coming at me when I'm looking my next building that is a hundred thousand square foot or 250,000 square foot, whatever it ends up being the next step, I'm, I'm going to be ready for it. So anyway, that's kind of the transition of uh, how Down for Sound got started and like the little steps along the way that uh, made it what it is today. So we're now catering to, we sell to people all over the world. We distribute car audio products worldwide every day. Uh, now we average over a hundred orders a day. And if you think about it, just six years ago, I was wishing I could get one order a week. That was my goal was to get one order a week. And now it's over a hundred a day, sometimes on Black Friday and stuff like that. We'll push seven, eight hundred orders in a single day. So um, that's it's just not giving up, though. Like it, I could have easily uh, I have a story about almost, when I closed the store one time because I got scammed out of uh, somebody did a chargeback. And I, I'm like, how can a person like it was one of my biggest first orders. It was like for five big amplifiers, like five thousand dollars. I'm like, man, this is awesome. I'm going to be rich. And so I ship out the amplifiers. Um, to the person and it ended up being international and everything like that i'm like i don't care i'm gonna make it happen so i ship it yeah and then um one day i'm i'm actually boarding a plane in vegas to go back to um uh, mississippi and i get a notification on my phone it says your uh, account's been deducted five grand and i'm like what i don't even have five grand overdrafts my account and i'm like what is going on so anyway the plane's taking off there's no uh internet so i land i'm calling the <laughs> bank and i'm like what why did y'all take money out of my account they're like oh the person did a chargeback it was a fraudulent charge i'm like what do you mean i, I don't have any protection i like, know it's the the person with, that had the card information is protected but you have to give the money back i'm like what okay i'm not doing this anymore like this if somebody can just steal from you like that and and not and, and just get away scot-free, no strings attached. I'm like, why would I have an online business? It's basically somebody walking in there, taking the product and thanks, or maybe not even saying thanks. So I'm like, I'm closing this down. Like I'm not doing this anymore. So I closed the store down for, I think a few weeks and time's going by. And, and my dad's asking me like, what's going on? And he's like, I didn't basically, I didn't raise no quitter. Like, why, why are you going to shut this thing down? And what if I did decide to leave the store shut down like, and, and went back to work doing something else, whether it's cutting grass or pumping gas? I definitely wouldn't have done 17 million the past two years. That's for sure. So anyway, that's a, another story that I, uh, uh, I knew that was also a uh, big thing that impacted my life. And if I would have gave up, it wouldn't have been the best decision for me. So I had to keep going because we definitely wouldn't be servicing um, we're over, we're approaching 200,000 orders now, like on the store. So that's a ton of people that, uh, want to take a chance with purchasing from down for sound. And the only reason why they're going to do business with you is if they trust you, you have to provide, provide a good, uh, a product, uh, you have to get it out to them fast, fair pricing. Uh, if anything happens, like have good customer service and take care of them. But uh, so we're shipping products worldwide and 
uh, dealing with people that have, they want to customize their, whether they're their vehicles, their golf carts, their boats, their uh, side-by-sides, ATVs, jet skis. Like we're into all these things. We're, we're offering stuff to all these people and we're constantly expanding it. And as time has went on, people have asked for, you're asking if we do our own manufacturing and stuff. Um, as time went on, people were asking us if we were going to do like our own like household name brand. So we started looking into that. And over the past two to three years, we've been heavily coming out with new products. Uh, but we, we vet them as best as possible. We do as much research and development on each one of them as possible. And, uh, we've constantly expanded our own product offering and, uh, we were able to, launch an amplifier line and do over a million dollars in sales i think it was right at six months which probably hasn't been done before in the history of car audio for a new car audio company um and anyway that that's where it kind of started at and we just kept adding and adding and adding to the product line so now we have tons of amps tons of speakers tweeters sound deadening material batteries wire like cables like all this stuff so we're just constantly uh, also listening to our customers and our uh, fans, like, what do y'all want to see next? So, or how can we make our last products even better? So we're constantly listening to them on feedback on what we should come out with next. So that's kind of how we also make our old, uh, our version one or two products, the version two or three, and then also come out with the next uh, product that the people are demanding. So uh, anyway, sorry to be so long winded, but that's kind of the story on uh, how it transitioned. Now, what's amazing to me about this entire story, I I wasn't asking, I didn't get dates, I didn't get times, I didn't get, you know, any type of like actual timeline on this. So this entire time that we're talking, I'm thinking in terms of, you know, when you were growing up, so I'm thinking like 90s, 2000s, you know, when, when we talk about the company starting, I'm just kind of thinking in my head, early 2000s, you know, maybe early 2010s, but it's like, no, this company is six years old. So this was what, 2016 or 2017 when you started? Uh, the So I actually came up with the name Down for Sound some years prior. But the, the reason why I came up with the name Down for Sound was because... <laughs> Back in back in these days, MySpace, there was a transition happening from MySpace to Facebook, and there was like kind of a, oh, a yeah. kind of a gray area there, maybe a, a, another awkward area, and people were spending a lot of time on online forums. So basically, stuff that people post on Facebook now, they would post them on car audio forums. Um, but the problem with the forums back then was there was so much. Uh, so many trolls, like people that belittled people and stuff. Like, say you have a beginner that comes into this car audio group and they're asking a simple question. Hey, how do I wire my speaker up? And they would come in there and you're an idiot. You don't know how to do this. And like, just, I'm like, the guy, he's just clearly trying to learn. Like, why not just answer his question instead of making him feel bad or trolling him or whatever. So I'm like, I'm going to come up with a place where people, I'm going to start my own forum so people can come there. And when you sign up, you have to, um, uh, abide by these couple of rules. The first one was absolutely no trolling. If you're uh, caught trolling or belittling somebody, you're banned instantly. So that was the first thing. Like, if, don't sign up here if you're going to ever do that. So anyway, that's how the name Downford Sound got started. And uh, it was initially started for a place for people to come and talk about car audio and not have to fear being belittled or bullied or whatever. So uh, I had that name for a while, but I, I didn't, again, I wasn't trying to sell anything. I didn't know anything about selling anything, but I love car audio. So uh, that's, uh, I had the name uh, down for sound for the forum. 
And as the time kept going, more people started transitioning to Facebook and it was taking over and MySpace was going away and people were creating Facebook groups, car audio Facebook groups, and everybody started uh, moving away from the forums to the Facebook groups and posting all their stuff there. So I'm like, well, there's not really any reason to have a forum anymore. People just post their stuff on Facebook. So, um, but that's kind of when the idea happened, like, oh, I need to start selling these people this stuff. Oh, I could make down for sound the landing page for this oh this this will be awesome so yeah this the actual store ish probably six seven years but again like the very start of the store was like you know you have these people i got a website but ain't nobody going to the website like yeah. nobody knows about it or whatever it was kind of like that i wasn't doing like really any sales or whatever so um but anyway it obviously snowballed and uh turned into what it is and there's I've created a lot of supporters, a lot of fans, but uh, man, there's some people that are very disgruntled about like what I've been able to do in a short amount of time. And, uh, and a lot of them, I looked up to them. Like I thought these, like I knew they had been in car audio. They'd had shops for a long time and I looked up to them and I'm like, man, these, these guys are awesome. They're killing it. They're like, they have either a brick and mortar store or whatever. Um, and, as I continued to grow, the thing that I had that they didn't ever have was my social media following. It's huge, huge shot in the arm to somebody that's wanting to do something because you have this this amount of people, whatever it is that you that's trusting you. They're listening to you. They're watching you because they have this connection with you. So um, anyway, these people, not all of them, obviously, but there's some people that I really looked up to that I caught up to what they were doing. And I destroyed like their revenue that they've ever done. And they got really upset about it. Like they, they slandered me. They said I had to be taking advantage of people. Like all these things that you hear about entrepreneurs and stuff that, um, it's, <laughs> it, it kind of, it kind of hurt my feelings because for you to hold somebody at a high regard for you to look up to people and then for them to slander you, like, and you even give them kudos, you even talk uh, about them highly and then them talk to you uh, or belittle you or uh, slander you because you pass them like it's that saying uh, everybody wants you to do well until you still start doing better than them and then they get upset yeah. about it or they start they act totally different so that started happening but anyway um, that was a it was crazy for me to experience that, but I mean, I would rather be where I am today than experiencing, Oh, I didn't, I didn't quite beat them. I didn't quite reach that level. You know, uh, I want to, my goal with down for sound is to, with the down for sound products. And we have a, a saying that's the down for sound difference and the down for sound difference is guaranteed lowest prices, fastest shipping, best customer service. Uh, we, we really hold this to a high regard and people hold us to it as well. Like if we're slipping and like, Oh, you didn't get my order shipped out fast or like, uh, I didn't have a best, um, dealings with customer service. It makes it where we need to go back to the drawing board. We need to see what's going on so we can become better. And, uh, yeah, we just been able to grow it, um, through treating people right. And also expanding our product lineup and, um, just, I don't know, kind of, there's a book called blitz scaling as well. Uh, I read that about a year ago and I've been, it kind of supercharged my thought processes on, okay, we need to really come out with more products and, um, and just flood the market with them because it's going to help us grow, uh, even more. So anyway. Yeah. I mean, the whole point is that it is such a short time to have such large 
gains, you know? Um, so I, I was sitting here thinking of this like long-term thing. And then at the end of it, you're like, you know, six, seven years of actually selling, you know, of, of having, like you said, a functional, I'm getting orders. Yeah. It, it's so fast. And I don't know, honestly, it's just blow. It, it blows me away. And then to, like you said, scale up so fast continually of making your own products and then having those kind of blow up and do great too. I just, I think that most audio companies, no matter what type of, of sound they're into, you're hearing about the super successful known name brand ones are, you know, years and years in the making where it's like, we've been making sound equipment since the sixties, seventies, eighties, you know, um, it's kind of a, a low and slow process, but I do think it's probably attributed kind of to the fact that so many people can do it yourself now where it's like, it's the technology is getting so much more compact and so much easier. It's, it's like having a computer in the sixties compared to having a computer. Now it's like, well, when computers used to take up an entire room, you know, and they were fifty, sixty thousand dollars, that's too much. Now your now phone that is a couple grand, way more powerful than that yeah, whole room computer. Exactly. Well, so then let's talk about, um, you know, how we can find you, where we can find you. Uh, just a general overview of. I know we've talked about some of the products that you have and stuff like that, but. Um, just a general over, overview of like that elevator pitch. If you could just convince someone to be your client, what would you say? Yeah. I mean, people, a lot of the people that come to Down for Sound are supporters of mine already. They're either following my YouTube channel. I've tried to provide a ton of value on there, answering the most common questions that people have about Core Audio. Uh, I go to a ton of shows, uh, Core Audio shows and different um, shows all over the world now. Like I travel, like I've been to Russia, Europe, um, a bunch of different places just in the name of car audio. Uh, I love being out there with people. And obviously when I take my vehicle to these shows and people get to hear it now at the, this form that it's at now is just this mind blowing experience. So, um, they get this connection with me either through my social media post or they actually get to meet me in person. So that's a connection as well. So the people come to me for most of the time that reason, but if they, come to me if they just stumble across down for sound uh, on the internet and they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm searching for whatever product it is. And I pop up and I'm like, Oh, I'll, I'll check this out. Okay. No guaranteed lowest prices. So, okay. I'm probably not going to find it cheaper than here, but I'll, I'll research anyway. I'll look at some other places. Okay. He actually does have the cheapest or the same price as some of these other places, but we also throw in, like a lot of what we call freebies on some of these uh, orders that are a certain dollar amount or, or above. So if you're going to buy a an item, say it's 500 bucks, you can get the item at um, store one or store two being uh, down for sound. So uh, why would you buy from one? If you don't know the people, if you don't have this connection with them, uh, why would you buy from down for sound? Well, we throw in what's called freebies we have these so the items listed there and then right up under it there's a t-shirt size sticker color voltmeter color uh, lanyard like all these things that people get in addition so we're adding even more value on top of the product because most of the products that we sell uh, in car audio they're the pricing is controlled by the manufacturer. So you it's called minimum pricing. Uh, so we have our products listed at minimum pricing. So everybody else that sells the same product online, it's all supposed to match. So you have to convince or look more appealing to people for them to buy from you instead of the other person. So this is one of the things that we do, not just all the social media posts and being out there like that, but when a person sees like, okay, I can just get this $500 item from store one, 
or I can get the $500 item and all this swag to go along with it for free. Oh, okay. I'm going to get it from them. And they have guaranteed lowest prices, fastest shipping, best customer service. So they know that we're going to get it out as fast as possible. And if something happens or they need to talk to us, our phone number's there. Like we're open from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. Uh, Monday through Friday, and even on Saturdays from 8 a.m. to 4 uh, p.m. So um, that's what we're doing. We're trying to I mean, I'm a firm believer in treat people how you want to be treated. So I'm always trying to treat people as good as possible talk to them like um, like they're my buddies. And like I say, I go live all the time on Facebook and chat with people and answer all types of different questions. Sometimes it's business. Sometimes they're asking about speakers. Sometimes it's relationship advice or whatever. So I'm just I've always been a totally open book for that. Um, but that's our website, downforsoundshop.com. If you want to find me online, you can do so. Uh, we have facebook pages instagram pages under the down for sound name i also have my youtube channel which is my biggest um i guess area it's uh, got over i think we just went through half a million subscribers on youtube so um that's it's called the life of price uh, because it's just me sharing my life basically and then uh, we have the life of price on facebook i'm on snapchat under jpd4s um, what else do I have? I have a Twitter, but it's not really a popular thing for uh, car audio, so I don't spend too much time there. A lot of people follow me on my personal Facebook page, which is just Jonathan Price. Um, I just share a lot of my, I have all of my posts are public on my personal Facebook page, so you don't have to be my friend to, um, to see my stuff. But a lot of people follow my personal page. I think I have almost 30,000 people following my personal Facebook page just for my daily, whatever it might be like for me doing ice baths in the morning to working out to red light therapies, all these crazy things that I do. Um, but anyway, so those are the areas that you can hit me up on. Perfect. Yeah, man. I mean, I was going to, uh, kind of end the show there and say, thanks for coming on, but ice baths, Jesus, that has been a trending thing that I've seen. Uh, it's really kind of it's exploding. You know, a lot of people are talking about the health benefits of it. And, uh, I know it doesn't look like it because, you know, my weight is like a roller coaster. I go through these times where I'm like eating super healthy, getting super trim, working out all the time. And then life gets busy, you know, and you start just eating double cheeseburgers again and, you know, doing that whole thing. And so now we're back on top of it, trying to eat a little bit better, trying to get into the gym at least every, we try every day, but at least every other day or so, um, you know, only skipping maybe once or twice a week, basically. But ice baths is something I've seen kind of hitting every single day where they're like, yeah, man, you got to just you have to, I guess, nut up and just get in there and submerge your temperature for a while. I think they say like 10 to 15 minutes. No, it doesn't like even have to be that out. long. It's uh, you, most of the time you can get a ton of benefits in like two minutes. Uh, I stay in there for three to five. Um, but usually after the one minute mark, like you you get way more accustomed to it. it like this, uh, you just have to control yeah. your breathing initially and get that under control. And after that, like you'll be fine. Like, I, I mean, I, I was the same way. I don't like cold. I don't like getting in there, but if it's like, it's probably, I know if I go in there and do that, that's going to be more than likely the hardest thing I'm going to do that day. So I go in there and I'm like, the rest of the day is going to be a breeze. I, I turned into a block of ice this morning and I'm perfectly fine. So, uh, but I've been doing it for a couple of years now. So I have a whole morning routine of uh, what I go through now. And like you said, one of the things with entrepreneurship, um, I don't, I don't know if we have a couple more minutes or whatever. I can tell you this because it was, it was we got to have, okay, it yeah. was uh, really important to me. Um, 
as as the business continued to grow, and I think a lot of people that are entrepreneurs are they've went through the same thing. As a business continues to grow, so does your waistline. Mine was I had gotten um, and there was things that were there was other things that were suffering, not just my health, but my relationship with my daughter and my fiance. These things were like I was so focused on the business. I had like blinders on. I couldn't see what me working at the business 100 hours a week was causing to my family uh, or my health. And then uh, before I know it, um, I had reached my heaviest weight, which isn't super heavy to a lot of people but when you've never been there before um it it was heavy for me so i reached uh, 210 pounds i was eating i was eating so much junk food like in the mornings i would go to if i did go to the gym i would reward myself on the way home with a box of crispy cream donuts <laughs> a dozen crispy cream yes. donuts and one of the like chocolate frappuccinos or whatever wash it all down with that like i earned that i went to the gym i probably burned 100 calories at the gym and consumed 5000 on the way to the house uh so anyway these things uh they don't happen overnight just like if you're trying to go the other way it doesn't happen overnight but uh, i wake up one morning and like I am 210 pounds. Like I haven't ever been this heavy. Um, I, like I noticed when I'm bending over to tie my shoes, like, like there's a big bulge there. Like my belly's getting big and everything. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta start doing something about that. And it wasn't that, uh, it was right around that time as well. My dad had a, a stroke and, um, he almost didn't make it. And it, it opened my eyes even more to if I keep doing, I was basically doing the same exact thing, even though I was working out here and there, he never worked out. Um, but he always ate and drank whatever he wanted to his entire life. And I'm like, it, it like popped in my head. If I keep doing the same thing I'm doing, I'm going to end up just like him. I'm going to have a stroke because I'm, I'm not taking care of myself. So that was also a, a big motivator for me to turn my life around and, um, and just to become a, a lot healthier and, um, and ever since that day, I've made my health, um, uh, again, I'm not perfect either. Like you talk about you, you're on a roller coaster. You go through, I, I, I ate a, um, jalapeno cheeseburger and fries for lunch today. Like I, I go through, but I, I go through some, uh, most, I'm more consistent. I'm about being, uh, better a majority of the time. So, and now I've gotten to a place where I can kind of maintain, a, a, um, I try to maintain 180 or under uh, as my goal weight. So if I ever like get on the scale and I'm a little bit above it, uh, I'm like, okay, I need to tighten up a little bit. So I don't uh, end up being back at 210 pounds because I like to have some good food. When I go back to visit my parents in Mississippi, I mean, there's soul food, there's all this good cooking. I'm like, I'm not missing out yeah. on that stuff, you know, it's experiences. So um, but anyway, yeah, getting my health back under control, um, got my blood work done. Um, I just take it way more seriously now because I want to, what's the use in earning a ton of money if you end up being on your deathbed and you're like, <laughs> you're not going to say, I wish I would have worked more or I wish I would have made more money. Right. You're going to say, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. You're going to say, I wish I would have. Uh, taking care of myself better. So I'm not having a heart attack at 40 years old or something to this extent. So, um, there's these realizations that I had that made me want to do better a majority of the time and you lose your health, you, you lose everything. So, uh, all the wealth in the world isn't worth your health. 
So that's something that I've been um, really actively trying to do better at for that reason. Well, you never know what you're going to get on the Small Business Origins podcast. A little bit of motivation, a little bit of origin story, a little bit of business advice there. I think it's been a great episode. Uh, had an amazing conversation, and I just can't thank you enough for coming on the show today and sharing all your stuff with us. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on. It was a great conversation. and Maybe I'll come back in the future and uh, chat it up again. Heck yeah. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode and helping out these businesses by just casting a light on them, sharing their content, following them on all the social media channel channels that they share. And of course, buying their products. If you like good sound like me, then head down to the website, get you a good product. Like you said, you're going to get a cheap price and you're going to get it shipped to you quick. So please check out the website. If you do nothing else, just share that content with your friends and family and keep coming back here every single week for a new episode, a new entrepreneur and a new business. But as always, that's it for us. We'll see you on the next episode and stay beefy, my friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Small Business Origins. I love an origin story. If you like what you just heard, leave us a review, subscribe, and share with a friend. You guys, check this out. They're going to love it. You're going to love it.